to the Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hey everybody, happy 4th of July. Did everyone have a wonderful weekend? I hope you did something to make it special and memorable, even if it looked differently than it normally does. As I typically do on the podcast, every year I highlight some type of military family or spouse or person, and this year's no different. But I didn't have to look very far. Because my husband's sitting next to me. Hi, Pete. Hey, Jessica. Hi, Lieutenant Commander. Can we call you that yet? Or, uh, no. Let's, no. Let's wait. Okay, we'll wait on that. But it's coming. Right. Right? Congratulations. Right. Thank you. That's really intense. So um, we're going to talk about kind of the behind the scenes of our military experience. Because I never pictured myself as a military wife going into it when I did and I learned so much in the process and I still get a lot of questions from people that aren't familiar with how the military works and kind of the ins and outs of moving and um, the different roles and things like that and so we just kind of wanted to reminisce and uh, share a little about about our military journey shall we let's do it all right so Pete loved Jag the TV show in high school I should have known. Did you always want to be a JAG? Um, oh, well, first explain what a JAG is. Sure. So a JAG is a, an active duty attorney in the military. What does it stand for? Judge Advocate General's Corps. Okay. So if you're a JAG, you're an attorney in the military. And right. Some people are very familiar because they loved the show mostly. And then other people don't know what that stands for. So that's the first step. Um, we were on a cruise uh, last year and Pete wore his uniform. And if you're familiar with the different uniforms and whatnot, they also have this dress tuxedo and he bought one, especially for this cruise. And he was so proud in his short little crop jacket. And (laughs) (laughs) we were, uh, after dinner sitting up on the Lido deck and this older woman comes up to him and he says, excuse me, sir, are you a Navy officer? Is this how it went? Yeah, something like that. Yes. Yeah. And he says, well, yes, I am. And she said, are those your medals? <laughs> he's like, yes. And she said, for bravery? <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not clear quite yet, JAGs are not weapon-yielding people, typically. Yeah. They can't, right. If you're in a different military branch, though, they, they can put JAGs into active duty, like, combat right like in the Uh, marines yeah the marines they say that they say that they're you know you're an infantry officer first and so you could be assigned given an assignment where you're an attorney but you could also be given an assignment where you're like in charge of marines yeah going into battle but not so much in the navy so you had to sadly tell they don't don't give the jags the ship oh man this woman, I mean, she was beautiful. She was like the classiest, like 85-year-old woman. And you could tell that Navy uniform just transported her right back to her youth. And her husband wasn't with her at the time, but her friend was. And she calls her friend over. 
oh wait no she was saying like well what do you do because you oh, said yeah, yeah. No, like, no it's not for bravery not for bravery i'm a jag i'm an attorney and she's like you're a jag it was like even better for her <laughs> that you were a jag and then she's like it calls her friend over betty betty come here he's a navy officer he's a jag and she said what's a jag like many of you probably were thinking like what's a jag and she just was baffled that, that she wouldn't know what it's like the TV show or like a few good men, right? There's some pretty good iconic jags in uh, pop culture. So anyways, you had your picture taken with her and eventually her, their husbands did appear mm-hmm. and uh, they said that we could take them off your off their hands, right? Yeah, so you can keep her. <laughs> but it was just so flattering. So anyhow, uh, a lot of people you know, liked the JAG TV show and whatnot, but did you picture yourself being a JAG someday? Sorry, interrupted. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I was in high school in 2001, September 11, 2001, when the World Trade, Center's, Trade Center was attacked. And I remember that had a profound impact on me, and I thought then that I really wanted to serve in the military in some capacity. Didn't your um, history teacher? Yeah, my history teacher was a was an, sign up an army reservist. He was like a tank driver or something. Um, and then once that happened, he re-enlisted. Yes. And then went to like Iraq or something. That'll change your perspective when you see somebody that you actually know stepping up in that way. And you're like kind of naturally patriotic, I would say, anyway. And so then to see that in action had to be pretty impactful for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was something that I always wanted to do, serve in the military in some way. And, yeah, and I just went through different phases of life and always, always, it just never, it never did, never did it. You know, I went to college. I came, went on a, a volunteer mission for, um, for the church. And then uh, went to, went to college, went to law school. And I, at, at every step of the way, I had opportunities to, to serve in the military in some way, but didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And then I was ultimately like at a big law firm and I had accomplished really everything that I wanted to professionally, you know, and just felt like I hadn't done that thing that I really wanted to do. And so that's why at that point is when I left the law firm and, and joined the Navy, as you okay. know. I'm familiar. Okay. So listeners, picture this. We're from San Diego, both Pete and I. So we were um, friends in high school, and that's how we first met. Started dating after high school, and the rest is history. It's just a darling love story. But uh, happily ever after. Happily ever after. Until I said I was joining the Navy. (laughs) And after law school, he went to law school at University of Michigan, and then he got a job at a fantastic law firm back in San Diego making more money than we could have ever dreamed of at that moment. And it just felt like, okay, the puzzle pieces have come together. Like, here we are. So then you said about a year and a half into it, I still feel this pull to serve. And I feel like that is the work I want to be doing right now. And I said, okay, because it's really competitive to become a JAG if you don't go directly from law school. Um, and so while my husband is incredibly intelligent, such a hard worker, everything, you just never, it's a numbers game and you just never quite know. So I said, go ahead and apply and we'll, we'll just see what happens. And sure enough, he got offers from the Air Force and from the Navy. That's where we pulled up the uniforms on the computer to see which he would look most handsome in. <laughs> 
and we selected the navy both for the uniforms and the fact that most of the locations are coastal or at least more desirable and less in the middle of nowhere. Now we know there's plenty of middle of nowhere spaces too, but um, we just thought there was a better chance of being in a great location. And of being in San Diego. And of being in San Diego. And you guys, we lived in San Diego. Wouldn't it make sense? They'd be like, oh, you guys, you're already there. Let's save the military some money and go ahead and keep you there. Like that is my naive non-military brain thinking. Well, let me tell you what I've learned. The military does not do anything for ease, efficiency, practicality, right? Yeah. In fact, there's like a popular like belief that it's actually better to disrupt people's lives, right? So <laughs> uh, I remember talking to people when I like was going through my training and like, oh, yeah, I'm from San Diego, but I got a station in Norfolk. They're like, oh, yeah, no, that's good. That makes sense. Yeah, because generally... <laughs> You know, we don't want people to be too comfortable, like in their community oh and in gosh. their. Gosh. So, so the, yeah, it's. I think it's. It's. You know, I think there, are, people's views are changing on that. It's. It is incredibly inefficient to move people around all the time. But, um, yeah, no, it's the opposite. Where that's definitely, if if anything, yeah, it's not a factor. And if anything, it's a factor that, would, at least at the time I started, would hurt you. <laughs> so I will just never forget. Um, <clears throat> you called me from work in the middle of the day after we had agreed to sign with the Navy and we had made our I think it was top 10 list for that first one Um, because literally as a new JAG you can you you can go just about anywhere because you need to get trained but they're mostly in larger base locations and so um, there was actually some great places San Diego being one of them Hawaii DC Washington State yeah so there's lots of great large bases um, that whatever. But I was thinking if we put San Diego's number one, they'd likely give it to us. And then you call me in the middle of your work day and you say, Jessica, they called me and we have two options. And I was just like, what? They never like, I, I never heard of them like giving you options. They just tell you where you're going. Right. And so I was so excited that they were going to give us two options, but because he didn't just flat out tell me the two options, I kind of tempered my expectations. And I believe you said Japan first. I think you said, so it's Japan or Norfolk, Virginia. You might have said Norfolk, Virginia at that time because I don't think we knew how to pronounce it. Mm, you think so? Perhaps. And, uh, and actually, I think we had put Norfolk as like number five or four or five on the list, but we had Wikipedia'd it. And it was like they showed us pictures of like the bay and the boats. And it was like so pretty and colonial and so I think we actually did kind of put it higher up there but never did I dream that would be it and I'm like Japan or Norfolk Virginia like either way we're moving halfway around the world or halfway around the world and uh I just I just said I can't unhear this and then I think I had to hang up it was just a lot and what I have learned so much is that a people who live in Japan as a military family they love it they love it so much. And if we'd stayed in longer and were given that opportunity, I would have loved to have lived abroad. Your His eyebrows are going up and he's looking at me suspiciously. Um, no, really, because I think it is the best way to live internationally 
and you have so many of the comforts of home and the security and the ease of housing and things like that and just like-minded people in the military supporting one another that I think it is a really cool way to live internationally. But for me, going from living in my little bubble in San Diego close to family to picturing moving all of our stuff, not just shipping it across the country, but by boat, like that just felt like a lot. So we chose... Virginia and we didn't know anybody Uh, well no I take that back so one of our friends was um, in San Diego had moved to Norfolk he was a Navy SEAL and he and his family lived there and uh, so we contacted them and things anyway the next thing that kind of rocked our world was that he Pete found out that he had to go to officer development school and then Naval Justice School. So Officer Development School is for anybody becoming an officer. Naval Justice School is just for the JAGs. It is in Newport, Rhode Island, and it is a total of five months. And so that means that Pete was gonna be gone from us for five months because there was no place for us to go with them unless we rented our own apartment and that wouldn't have made fiscal sense. So um, tell them about your time in Newport. Like what are some favorite memories. Newport's awesome, you guys. If you have a chance to go to Newport, Rhode Island, it is a very darling place. Very cool. Yeah, Newport's lovely. Um, I think my officer training experience was like a lot different than what most people go through and probably a lot different than what listeners are picturing. Mm -hmm. Um, Officer Development School um, is for professionals like attorneys, doctors, dentists, and whatnot, who are already basically coming into training commissioned as officers. And you're just kind of learning about the Navy and learning about your role within the Navy. And then, but we interact with the the other group, which is the officer candidates, which is like a very different experience where those folks are like... Yelled at, ye- getting woken like up yelled early. Yelled at and like, yeah, it's pretty intense. We had one week of like militarization where it was really just to give us a taste of what everyone else goes through. But for them, that's like a 12-week long nightmare. But for us, it was like one week, and it was like a watered-down version. One positive of living on base during that time and being among all of your other peers that were in officer development school, other JAGs especially, was the camaraderie, right? And I don't know, maybe everybody feels this way, but I think you had an especially incredible group that you went through with, especially your best friend, George. That is just such a special thing. So while the kids and I were left in San Diego for those months, you were (laughs) kind of living the bachelor life. But I mean, I'm so glad you made the most of that time. Um, You took up running. You were training for a marathon at that time. Like what a special time, as hard as it was to be a part. It was grueling. It was so hard being a solo parent, but... um, what a neat time. Yeah, it was fun. I went through the JAG training portion with other people who were more experienced people. So there was a few people that were coming who were who were already practicing lawyers. And then also in that group were people that were coming to the JAG community from other Navy communities or other Marine communities or other the Coast Guard actually also goes to this training facility or mm. training school with us. And so it was it was like the group of experienced either officers or attorneys who were all together. So it was like an older group. Um, yeah, and I felt like I fed in, fit in really well and made a lot of great friends, and it was a lot of fun. And in your cohort, was it right that they only selected two people 
who were not directly coming out of law school, but it was... Yeah, there were two of us. Two. Yeah. See why I didn't think this was likely? Two people. And my husband was one of them. But I I was so proud of you, and um, I think it's so neat. So in October, so you left on the weekend of Mother's Day. That was super nice of you. You left on a Saturday. The next day was Mother's Day. And then we joined you in Norfolk in um, October, and we had found a place to live. I had never, I'd been to DC, but I'd never been to this part of Virginia. If you're not familiar, Norfolk is the biggest Navy base in the continental US. I think in the world, actually. In the world. It's enormous. Um, it is, well, Norfolk itself, the area around the base is kind of junky and sketch, but like on the water, tons of large boats. What do you call them? Ships. <laughs> Destroyers, yeah, all kinds, all kinds of carri- navy vessels, yeah, aircraft carriers, yeah, all on the same pier, which is a little bit unusual. Just like one sure. right after another, it's pretty cool, and I mean, just so much oceanfront property that just, I mean, makes your running paths and your soccer games and everything just like spectacular. And where we lived in Chesapeake, not far away, it was really foresty and lush, and I mean, just so different from San Diego. So that was that was pretty fun. And so um, as we settled in, one thing that we found a lot of comfort in was Dahlquist family dinners. So most of the people that Pete worked with were single or newly married or something. And so they were in a much different phase of life. We had two little kids at that point and I got pregnant with our third shortly after. And uh, they would come for five o'clock dinner on Sundays, like every other Sunday, about yeah, just, just about. about. Yeah, we did a lot. And we'd always mix, I mean, anybody was invited, but the guest list was always mixed up who could come. And, but we always had a group of like 10 to 15 people and we would eat and, and your single friends, <laughs> sweet Bob and George, who we mentioned before, they'd bring their Oreos and Tostitos and cheese dip and just whatever, you know, prepackaged stuff they could. And I would do the main dish and those were some special times. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Good. Yeah. People. So I think... Yeah, one of the that's one of my very favorite things about being in the military is is that camaraderie. And sure, you know, you had a lot in common with them because of the profession, but just being out of your element, being away everyone's away from family, you're just in this together in a way that I mean it's kinda like college. You're just in this together and I just had the most wonderful experience and and meeting other wives, Jessica Harbin and anyhow one thing I heard a lot when I was join- when we were joining the military was I could never do that. I mean, I definitely had those types of thoughts running through my head when we were getting into it. But what I have learned throughout this experience is that you can literally do anything you're, you're tasked to do in this life. Some of the things may be voluntary that you sign up for that are harder than you think. And there's other things that are involuntary where it's like, I could never get through, you know, moving across the country. I could never get through joining the military or solo parenting, having my husband deployed. I could never do that. I have witnessed a lot of people do a lot of these things. And every single time it's a hundred percent like endurance rate, like they can do this. And I learned that I could do it. It was so painful a lot of times to be away from family and everything. Um, but it really changed my perspective about establishing our little family and, really just making the most of this experience. Um, and it was a really positive one. 
So one of the hardest things though is is moving, like I mentioned. And so we lived in Norfolk for two years and about a year and a half into it, that's when they start, start discussing what we call PCS. What's PCS stand for? I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Moving. And uh, most jobs in the military, or at least in the Navy or whatever, we are two to three year posts. So you're in one location for two to three years and then they move you. And so, again, we put in our preference list. It wasn't 10. I think it was like four or something like that. But but you had to do it off of the jobs that were available. So I just remember like eat, sleep, and breathing, those lists that would come out yeah. of what jobs were available when they were coming up because you had to like – it had to – the job had to open up at the right time and you had to be moving at the right time. And so there's just limited options. It was so stressful. And there was a San Diego job that we were told we we could get – if he did certain things or something and they basically screwed us and <laughs> <laughs> i guess i don't remember they, exactly oh what they, pete pete the they diego told job? us we were going to san diego for like oh two yeah no, months. No, no. i remember that yeah and then they if, said if the other job fell through they, so then they it, said yeah. there's this other job in Southern California. So you're still in Southern California, but it's this other job, um, but you're not quite qualified for it because it's only like senior officers that get it, but we think we can make an exception for you. So you have to like get interviewed by all these people. And if you get that, you have to take that. If not, you're totally going to San Diego. (laughs) But they pitched it like you weren't going to, it was unlikely you were going to get that other job. So anyhow, needless to say, he got that one and we Ended up in Camarillo, <laughs> which turned out to be... In Ventura, California. Well, in Ventura, California. He was um, stationed at Port Juanimi, and we lived in Camarillo, and it was a magical time. We loved it so much. And as annoying as it was to drive through L.A. to get to San Diego to see our family, we loved it there. And the job was not awesome for Pete, but, I mean... At least you have a job. Like in the military, the nice thing is he had signed up for a four-year commitment. He was going to be in for four years. Like that's very predictable. Well, the job was a fine job. I mean, it was like it was a challenging job. And it, it wasn't a job that I would have picked based on my, my skills or interests. Like it was an important job. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like it was a job where I grew a lot. And I got an experience and opportunities and exposure that I will never get again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a challenging job, and it was a good job in that in the sense that I was doing really important work, but yeah. not a good job in the sense that, you know, it was a job that I would have picked or that I felt like was suited for my skill set. I was a victims attorney, legal counsel. Yeah, I was an attorney for victims of sexual assault, and so it was taxing. You know, it was emotionally taxing, and so in this job, I represented individuals who were victims of sexual assault. Like I do think that was an incredibly important job and a challenge that's facing all of our society and definitely facing the military mm-hmm. and so to to have that role and to have that and to now have that perspective is something that's valuable for me yeah yeah i can see that that's awesome the reason that you wanted to join the military aside from serving was that you needed enough experience to kind of land the next job and have enough experience to do that. And so thankfully, after just two tours in the military, Pete was able to get the job he has now um, working for the government. But outside of the military, 
And that's been fun, huh? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's the best. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, my job. And you did decide to stay in the reserves. Why did you decide to do that? I guess it's just like being a part of the community. It's 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 challenging. Like it's administratively, there's lots of burdens, and it's logistically, it's just kind of it's tough to mm-hmm. have to spend your weekends working on that or like. So, your what's nights. your commitment in in as a reservist? Well, they say like yeah, one, one weekend, weekend a, a month, month, and then and then two weeks a year, two weeks of of full time work. But it's it's not like that um, segmented, you know, where it's like. I check my work, my Navy email at least once a week and respond to text messages. And I just feel like it's always there and there's always like stuff going on in the background. Um, It's like an added layer of like things on a to-do list. It's not, I wish it was something where you could like totally turn it off and then just turn it on for one weekend. Yeah. And then, and then totally turn it off and then turn it on for those two weeks. But that's definitely not how it is. And um but but I think it's worth it. It's it's fun to to be a part of the community and to see old friends and to put on the uniform and meet every now and again with with other people that kind of feel the same way. You know, I think everyone in the reserves. It's like it's not worth. It's it's worth it for those similar reasons. People stick around because they want to be a part of the community. And it's fun to, it's fun to associate and work with people like that. Yeah, and for people that don't know, you do continue to promote as you are in the reserves over time, and then you, it also works towards retirement. So there's those benefits as well. Yeah, so a couple things that people may not know or, or be curious about um, just in these last few minutes. So you do get free health care. That's true. When you're on active duty. When you're on active duty, your family gets free health care. So the health care varies a little bit with the, the quality. but <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of ways to like... To, people have sorted that out. There's lots of ways to yeah. like, kind of game that. People who have been in the military a long time really know how to like maximize their benefits or, or like make those things yeah. work for them. Well, I did not give birth in a military hospital. I didn't have Jackson Military Hospital, but I was still able to give birth for free. So that worked out great for us. Um, and you get like free medicine and things like that. Um, what are some other perks of being in the military? Uh, I you don't get, feel like you, you would know oh, this better than I would. BAH. What's yeah. BAH? It's it's well, I mean, it's part of your salary. Basically, mm-hmm. is you have an an untaxed allowance for housing. So what what that really means is like depending on where you live, your your like net income could be could be different. But right. when you live in a high a high cost area, your your net income is higher, and the the point is to compensate for the housing costs. Yeah. So it really benefited us in California when we lived here because the BAH or the housing allotment was higher. We were able to find a rental under our BAH and then we pocketed that rest of the money that was untaxed. So that's a great way to do it. Um, you're still not rich, you know. It's not like oh, no, like, no, no, no. Like... But your salary is very low. Yeah, right. But then the exactly. BAH kind of helps with that. Very low. <laughs> But the B, yeah, I I miss BH now. Like seeing the difference, uh, yeah, it, you don't realize it until until it's gone. Can you share some jargon that you've that you've learned? Like some funny words? Yes, Pete. Come on. There's some no. funny things where it's like the hat is called a a cover. Yeah, a that's cover. True. Okay. Yeah. You can, tell tell them like the rules for the cover. You can't wear it indoors. Yeah. No. You generally when you're outside, you're you're like have your cover on, which means like you have your hat on. And you salute when you have your cover on. And so, yeah, like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, there are lots of etiquette things. I mean, you could talk about etiquette things for a long time. But a lot of people, yeah, spend a lot of time, you know, 
I mean, that is important to like yeah. understand and respect. I like it's under, understand and respect the traditions and culture and the courtesy involved. Mm-hmm. I love walking around on the military base and, you know, saluting people and greeting them. And mm-hmm. um, that's like not something you really do. I may, maybe maybe you do in other parts of the country or the world, but um, generally, like, I don't think that people are that courteous or, um, yeah, to, to greet people and to be kind to people. Mm-hmm. Something that might surprise people is that as a reservist, you might think, like, you're less likely to be deployed or be called up and things like that. And that's actually not true, right? At least in our, At least in the JAG community, the philosophy has kind of been that they should leave the active duty JAGs in place at their units. And if people need to go on deployments to like to augment or to support joint military operations, so like army units and well, yeah, and a lot of the military units or a lot of the military operations are like a combination of military forces. And so they pull um, JAGs from different services to fill some of those roles. And so the Navy's view has, has historically been that instead of disrupting active duty units and pulling Navy JAGs from their units, they'll pull reservists out of their civilian careers and have them do those roles because it's less disruptive to the Navy mm-hmm. as a whole. Um, and so, no, as a reservist, general, as a Navy JAG reservist, you're far more likely to be deployed, at least historically over the last you know, 15, 20 mm-hmm. years more likely to be deployed as a reservist than you are as a, as a active duty JAG. How do you feel about that? Do you want to be deployed? Yeah, I think it'd be great. <laughs> um, just for an insight for the listeners, three days after I had Jackson, so it's Jackson's birthday this weekend, actually. So five years ago, he comes to me three days after. I'm like still healing, still trying to figure out how to feed my baby. And he's like, um, Jessica, there's an unaccompanied one-year position in Djibouti Africa, yeah, right? I was it Djibouti? Was it? I don't know, maybe. And uh, <laughs> I signed up, like, or or I volunteered. Volunteer. I volunteered. So usually yeah. they'll like send out these things, and so usually you go with your family, but there's a few positions where it'd be like one year unaccompanied, and this was one of them. And you were literally volunteering to live in a storage container yeah, in right. Djibouti, Africa, for one year without your family, and you're telling your postpartum three day wife, three day postpartum wife. Is that okay? <laughs> and I just knew I couldn't even argue. I'm just like, fine, fine. But thankfully, unlike joining the military in the first place, that one didn't go through. But you got the credit for volunteering. So there you go. I don't think, yeah, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> um, yeah, are there any other uh, things you want to tell the people? What has been the most meaningful um, lesson that has come from your experience in being in the military? I think that... There's a lot of ways a person can serve, you know, so um, I think people who are not in the military, maybe some people who are not in the military feel like, oh, bummer, I didn't, I've never served the military, I'm missing out, or I didn't do my job. And then even people within the military sometimes feel, oh, I'm not as important because my role is more limited, I'm not a warfighter, I don't go into combat. And But I think that everyone has a role to play, and all you can do is is like what your country asks of you. And so there's like a, a, a quite a spectrum of, of even within the military there. I actually think there's really only uh, a small group within the military that really, really sacrifices the most. You know, I think a lot of our wars over the last generation have been 
there's just a handful of, of groups of units that have really borne the brunt of some of those, um, yeah, of some of those deployments that are deployed over and over and over and over again um, for their entire 20 year careers. You well, know, our where, friend Chris, like we mentioned yeah. as a Navy SEAL, like every 18 months. Yeah, you're either on deployment or you're preparing for deployment. Yeah, and it was and so not intense. only that, but like in harm's way. So not yeah. even just like, yeah, so there's a spectrum. And then, and then a step below that, you have, yeah, other people that are always on deployment or always preparing for deployment to support those folks. Yeah. And then you have folks, that, you know, like our friends that are pilots that are always, that are kind of bouncing back and forth between times where they're going to be flying and not going to be flying. And when they're flying, they're at sea. And then when they're not flying, they're sometimes at sea and sometimes at training. And so there's all these different, there's kind of all these different levels of from the one end of the spectrum where people are really asked to sacrifice their whole lives, you know, to, to preparing for and, and to fighting war. And then the people who do significantly less than that, which, you know, I lump myself into that category where, you know, attorneys are not, are not often deployed they don't often go to sea, but you know, I, I did, I did what the Navy asked and I feel, feel good about that. And, and part of the reason I, raise my hand to go to Djibouti and, and whatnot is because I feel that kind of sense of obligation and responsibility to to contribute and to where I can to, to contribute. Um, and I was talking to a colleague recently in the job that I have. And, um, this colleague does incredibly important work protecting um, commun- the communities and protecting vulnerable people within the United States. And this person said, oh, you know, I regret that I never served in the military. And I, and I remember thinking, like, that's just crazy because, like, what you're doing has such, such value mm-hmm. for the United States, you know. Um, and this person is, like, a great attorney and a really, really sharp person. And I just remember thinking that America was better having this person in this position mm-hmm. than having that person in the military where – Oftentimes, it's not a meritocracy. It's about chance and timing. You know, we talked about what role you're going to get and whatnot. It's all about the timing and and whether or not you're going to promote is is about timing and depending on who your boss is at the most pivotal time to give you the evaluation that you need and whether you mesh with them and whether, you know, they've concluded based on a very small sample size that you're the person that merits the, the evaluation that's going to result in a promotion or not. Whereas, you know, in these other organizations, it is much more likely that the people who are really great at their job are going to get the opportunities and responsibilities that are consistent with their skills and abilities. And so I was just, I was kind of relieved that that Mm. person was not in the military (laughs) and was instead in this job where they were doing really great work, um, really making a huge impact on the community. Mm -hmm. So I think the big takeaway is, you know, we all have important work to do within our spheres of influence in the world. Yeah. In our families, in um, our workplaces. Yeah. So aren't you impressed? That I remember the name Djibouti. 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 Yeah. yeah it's that's impressive. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, great. I won't ask you to spell it though. I couldn't do it. One last question. What do you think our kids have learned or gotten out of this military experience? I think, uh, they're, pr- I think they're proud of you. Yeah. I think, I think they're proud of us. I think like that, our family. Yeah. I think that, it show, I think it shows to them that their important things are matter and that there are things that matter so much that we're willing to make sacrifices. Mm-hmm. You know, so even though they didn't love moving around and they, that was really sad I th- and 
hard and they didn't like me being away and whatnot and even continued like to not be there on weekends to miss soccer games to um i think they they realize and and um understand that the work i'm doing is important and that um there are things that's it's worth making a sacrifice for the things that matter most yeah i could not agree more and and the earlier you ask of your kids to sacrifice and to not just make life cushy and easy and breezy, like the more that they can learn those lessons. And our first move to Norfolk, I had a terrible attitude. I didn't want to be there. I was really struggling with the move. I was struggling with the new job. Like it was so hard for me. And then I just eventually realized like I was holding myself back a, but like I'm modeling for my kids how to handle something like this. And they were disappointed to move too, but I had to show them that it wasn't all bad and that they could be happy here. Just because they missed the other place didn't mean they couldn't also be happy here. And that's been true with each move and with saying goodbye to friends and meeting new friends and being the new kid. I mean, they have been in so many schools and it's been so hard in so many ways and yet they have just friends across the country and we've met people we never would have gotten to meet otherwise and we treasure those experiences and those relationships and you have the job you have now I mean we can just so clearly see God's hand in all of this leading us to where we are today Um, but I, I totally agree that having them involved in our family sacrifice for our country it's just, it speaks volumes and I hope they, they treasure that their whole life. And as we, you know, create a lot of traditions around the flag and a lot of conversations around, you know, military topics or, or talking about other military friends or things like that, I hope they always, you know, keep that within them. And when people, veterans are asked to stand and they play a patriotic song, like I hope they always just revere those people and, they get those goosebumps like I do that it's like we're part of that and I'm really proud of you thanks babe proud of you too thank you thank you yeah it's not just one person signing up for the military the whole family signs up and I can honestly say I am glad for that experience so anchors away great should we sing anchors away my boy no (laughs) okay So that will do it for the podcast today. Anything else? I think in training, they actually made people sing Anchors Away sometimes. Really? Like, like sing the first verse because they yeah. want to make sure like you're indoctrinated and you memorize everything. Yeah. So now I have like a flashback of some of someone saying like, hey, sing the first verse of Anchors Away. And the guy like busted it out and it was like, really, it was really awesome. Oh, something else people might be interested in knowing. The uniforms are so expensive. Yeah, it's so expensive. It is subsidized for people that enlist, right? Yes. Okay, so it's cheaper for people that make less money, but for officers and you pay full price, holy moly, so expensive. We do pass down stuff, right? So like there's kind of a custom that like when you promote – you give the someone junior to you your your like your rank stuff, so they don't have to go buy that new stuff. That is not the expensive part. I mean, yeah, it, it, it does add up, but like you're not like passing down like. But there's also your firm. like there's also like thrift stores and like when people get out of the military, they they get rid of their uniforms. And yeah, they, like thrift stores for military apparel. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's that's like true. a thrift store base. So when you talked about me buying my tuxedo for the cruise, it would cost three dollars. So let's mm-hmm. not. Uh, 
Let's not get too worked out. But the rest of the stuff was so expensive. Yeah. Your big, heavy, like, parka, your Gore-Tex. Yeah, my Gore-Tex thing, which is now boots. discontinued because oh it's gosh. blue. Oh, my gosh. The aqua. Crazy. Anyhow, this just brings up a lot of feelings, reminiscing. Yeah, cool. But I hope you enjoyed this. Do you think they enjoyed this? Yeah. Yeah. No regrets except for all the money we spent on uniforms, huh? Uh, no. No regrets. But I just want to say to anybody that has ever felt like I could never do that or you're facing a challenge where you think, I I can't do this. Like, I'm not equipped for this. This is not what I wanted. You can literally do anything. And the sooner that you accept that you can do anything and that sometimes you just must (laughs) do the thing and the sooner you can stop pushing that away and accept it, the sooner you can just enjoy the journey, you can welcome in the blessings and the lessons learned and make the friends and just take in all the experiences that you could never have if not for that thing. So um, in addition to hoping to bolster you wherever you're at as you are facing your hard thing, also keeping in mind when you tell somebody else, I could never do that. It's not necessarily a compliment. I mean, I'm sure we've all said that and we kind of mean it as like a, we admire you, we admire your strength. I could never do that. But really that doesn't really help. Just say, I think you're amazing. That's so awesome. You guys are such a strong family. Those are better things to say. Yes? Okay. So happy fourth, everybody. If you have any other questions, um, I would love to answer them. I had no clue about the behind the scenes of uh, the military before we were in it. And so it's kind of fun to learn these things. Oh, also, now that I'm a reserve wife, I had to get a new ID card. So you do get a lot of discounts when you have a military ID. And so if you flash it, depending upon, you get like 10% off at Home Depot or at Adidas or whatever. And so there's some there's some good perks in there. But when he became a reservist, I had to get a new ID card. And I was very surprised to see that it was like a different color than the other one. And it just kind of was more blatant that we weren't like active duty anymore. And I just felt so like, huh, I'm not like a active duty military spouse. And they're trying to like shame me. And Pete told me that there was a name for that. No, Somebody no, that no. feels very entitled. No, no, no. no, I'm not allowed to say this. No, it's, we'll cut that out. It's insensitive. It's insensitive. It might be called a dependipotamus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if you caught that, I'm going to leave that in. I hope everybody has a fantastic day. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica Dahlquist 3 My husband is has vaporized in social media so you can't follow him but if you want to find pictures of our family and some of our military pictures it's at extraordinarymomspodcast.com and that'll be it so we will see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom bye